Warning. What you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, have you seen this uh, Instagram that's just snails doing human things? No. It's pretty great. It's like some of this person who builds like these little human world sets, like miniature restaurants and and then just unleashes snails in them. Real real snails in them, yeah. It's pretty it's pretty delightful. It's uh the Instagram is just A L E I A. That's it. Um I would check it out. And anyone at home listening to this, check it out. Yeah, I'll definitely give it a look. I love kooky stuff online. I'm looking at it right now, and there's some snails eating burgers in a fast food restaurant. Oh, that's tremendous. Snails on an airplane? Are no one, no one's tired of those. No. The snail is in the chair looking out the window. It's eating the airplane food. It's got a little carry-on bag. It's pretty great. It's a, this is great. This is a really good Instagram. It's do probably... do snails dream of electric sheep? There's a snail. There's snails bowling, and they're pushing the balls. No, I'm this snail just got a strike. I'm gonna send this to you. Is that snail bowling the best game of its life? Do you think? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Perfect game. No, no problem. Oh yeah, I just got it. Yeah. I mean, this kind of ties into what we're talking about today. Yeah, aren't we all just snails? Snails in a simulation. Pu- pu- pushing along a bowling ball <laughs> without really any clear understanding of, of why we're here or what we're doing. Oh, yeah, there's a book. Fran- the, the person who did to the, 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 the website made a book called Snail World. Did the book come first or did the... The social the, the, media presence. The social media presence was first, and then there was a book just collecting the the greatest hits. What a time to be alive! It used to be that like you would come up with an idea like that for an art project, and you would have to go and you know photograph everything, and then turning it into a book would be really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's like you can just get that get that done. There's like yeah. nothing holding. Like you can write a book. You can create a website you can make a movie you can do any literally do anything you want yeah it's it's a it's quite a time to be alive yeah there's oh they also this on this instagram there's a frog on a jet ski that's pretty cool oh man a, a snail being abducted by aliens and being carried up into the ship now see that's really contrived like a snail is much far closer to an alien than any literally any other organism and i don't buy that for a second well that's why they were just the snail should be piloting the ufo it's just going home it's just like getting picked up for lunch oh yeah it's just getting dropped off after soccer practice exactly yeah (laughs) well what are we talking about today we haven't even done an intro let's say uh hey everyone it's me it's elliot keith is here we're gonna talk about a movie this is the trash Heap movie podcast. The movie, the show where we talk about movies that uh, people didn't give a fair shake to. Uh, movies that were overlooked. Dis- you we, know, give, we give discarded gems a second chance. We, and crawl, we call, crawl through the trash and take those up to the top of the heap. Are they always a hidden gem? No. no. Sometimes we roll the dice and we lose. 
And in I the mean, case mis- of Dreamscape, we lost big time. We uh, made mistakes. Um, my favorite thing about Dreamscape, though, is that tons of people seem to love this movie and for seemingly right. no reason. I think it's it's a nost- some kind of a nostalgia effect. It's Stockholm Syndrome from their nightmares about the snake man. It's a kind of a misplaced affection for a young name. Uh, What's his Dennis name? Quaid. Dennis Quaid. Young Dennis yeah. Quaid. I don't know. No, so we went in on this thinking that it was some sort of that it was probably some sort of forgotten gem, but it turns out that it's not forgotten at all. People love it, and we don't like you and I don't like it. It's the reverse scenario. I will say this though: I just saw a video that used sort of the the greatest hits, like the highlights and coolest scenes in the movie. And when you juxtapose all those moments together, uh, it does look really cool. And I think that's where right. Uh, people get stuck is they just remember those highlights and they forget everything that happens in between and kind of the movie, what what the movie becomes when it's finished and when you've you've seen the whole right. thing. And so I I, I under, understand. No, totally. I just think, but I think it is also just like what is how we've done like two episodes in between dreamscape and now and like we just can't stop talking about how much we hate it yeah i keep thinking about it and now uh friday night frights is returning to the blue mouse theater in tacoma and lo and behold what are they showing no dreamscape it's not even a fright so go find out for yourself get your little get your little ten dollars take your ass down to the blue mouse theater and go watch it. I and think it's only like five bucks at the Blue Mouse. No, it's ten dollars. They, it? they had to jack up the price, man. It's hard times. It hard is, hard times, baby. Uh, I haven't. When was the last time you were in a theater, Keith? Oh God, I don't even remember. Uh, I've got the um, the. I almost said Pantages Theater. I have the. Um, I can't remember anything today. Holy shit. What the fuck is the name of the theater by my house? I don't know. There's a nice tiny little theater uh, where you can stand upstairs behind the neon sign. It's super cool. I don't remember the name of it, but I haven't been back yet. So yeah, it's been like, I don't know, probably two years. Oh, so even pre-COVID. Yeah, a little bit. It had been a while. It had been a while. Okay. But it's also, I mean, that's kind of been, that's kind of been the thing. Hold on here. Let me see if I can look back and find out what the last movie I saw was. I don't think it was. Um, I wish I would have seen Mandy in the theater, but I didn't because I'm a piece of shit. Yeah, wish I'd seen that in the theater too. I mean, I definitely saw a movie, some a couple of movies right before everything shut down. So I know I can't remember what they were specifically, but I'd been to the movies recently. But I have yet, I have yet to go back. Weird. I feel like I saw Midsummer on uh, in a theater, but. I probably just watched it on a big TV. Do you not like going to the theater? No, I do. I just don't like other people being in the theater while I'm watching a goddamn right. movie. Which is absurd, right? Uh, it depends. I kind of... It, it, uh, sometimes... Oh, it might have been audience... us. Oh, wow. That was, that was a while ago. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like a, an audience can make can enhance a movie experience. Like... A funny movie's funnier with an audience. Scary movie's scarier with an audience. But if the audience has to be right, you know. Oh, unquestionable. Like I, I, I had I some saw, great 
movie theater experiences with Cabin Fever and Freddy versus Jason and movies like that. Um, but yeah. then I remember going to see the original Halloween and being like annoyed by yeah uh, the the audience with that. So. When I went and saw The Witch, it was very clear that everyone there thought they were seeing like some like thought they were going to see something that would be more akin to like a saw movie um and they uh, there was a they made the experience pretty crappy because everyone's like what the fuck is this nothing's happening blah 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 i don't i don't think that trailer sort of created that misconception at all i saw i saw it in a theater in lakewood so you know what a mean comment. It was mean. <laughs> I stand by it. It's glad we're um, I'm glad we're talking about our movie theater experiences because uh our movie today, which is yet another entry in the sci fi summer. Sci fi meaning science fiction, uh is the Matrix reloaded and I believe the year was two thousand three. Mm, that sounds about right. Wow, what a time to be alive. And yeah. I, there is nothing particularly remarkable about this movie theater experience aside from the fact that throughout a good chunk of this movie, everyone just sat in silence trying to comprehend the words that they were hearing these characters speak. <laughs> I mean, they just um, struggled to grasp these concepts and, and notions and just the baffling exposition that would that would be said. Yeah. Uh, this was a movie that people were, a lot of people were really pissed off at when it came out. And I remember I suggested we do this one. Cause I remember you saying a while ago that this is your favorite matrix movie, which I thought was pretty surprising. Yeah. It's funny because this actually didn't become my favorite matrix movie until I received the DVD as a Christmas gift. Uh, so you saw I, it in the theater. I saw it in the like, theater and I was like, huh? I don't know about this one. And then I think maybe two years later, I got the DVD. And who, buddy? It it actually took the... My level of appreciation increased just because there's some really great special features. It was like a Warner Brothers like two-disc set with a, mm-hmm. a lot of behind-the-scenes on the stunts and action set pieces and things like that. And then it also includes the... Uh, MTV Movie Awards intro sketch featuring Will Ferrell, Sean William Scott, and Justin Timberlake. Mm-hmm. And it is that uh, creative piece of business that has sort of solidified my affinity for the that, movie. <laughs> the MTV Music Awards. I was yeah. so happy to have that on the DVD that I would just pop that movie in uh, just so I could watch that little bit. Now, do you think that bit is actually good or do you think it's uh it's funny and it's uh dubious execution i think it's extremely amusing and i love the way they spoof the architect character oh, Will Ferrell, i think I it's think it's, i think will legitimately funny in the skit but the rest of it is i find to kind of be like cringy in its Oh, it's juvenile, it's idiotic, but... Just like the whole thing where, like, I don't know, like, I don't think, I don't have anything really against either of those two guys, but that that was definitely at the height of of them being just kind of like stars for nothing type of thing. 
and that part where like uh, Justin Timberlake's just beating up Agent Smith by dancing. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then at the end, it's it's a big fart joke. Yeah, he's like, "Who f- who farted?" And they that's, all start laughing. That, that's like honestly all of those movie spoofs with uh, for the MTV Movie Awards. The same did the same thing with Batman Begins, where it's. <laughs> Batman's like make, is 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 making fart jokes, or they're editing it so it looks like Batman's talking about how he just farted. I feel like those those properties are easy to make fun of too. And I yeah. think they're just ripe for good spoofing, and I think I don't know. I think they uh, they really nailed it on this one. I'm a I'm All a fan. Right. I'm a fan. All right. Well, you know, we didn't come here to talk about MTV. Wait, did we? Why not? Let's let's take a walk. A walk let's through. Just, let's forget this. Uh, TV's this, past. The Matrix Reloaded. No, but uh, people really. I remember when the, when it came out. I did not have the negative reaction. The quite the same negative reaction that everyone. A lot of people seem to have. Uh, I well, didn't the, think it was. Well, the original uh, Matrix was so mind blowing and set the yes. bar so high. It's like, yep. how do you follow that up? And if you watch the entire series, like you can really see like all the creative energy and inspiration was like it, it was front loaded into that first movie, and then uh, the other movies sort of uh, I don't want to say devolve, but I guess they devolve into like a pretty straightforward, you know, sci fi. Mm-hmm. war scenario with well, a, you think, know a culminating fight scene in in at the very end but yeah it, it becomes like very straightforward and all the sort of new and exciting ideas kind of just fizzle out well i think uh um i definitely like i definitely like uh, i think the sequel is more than most people and the first one i think there's just a thing too to be like when it came People sometimes talk about like, oh, it's dated or it's corny or it was ripping off these movies, which is all true. But also when it came out, it was like it was like you just said, like it was mind blowing and really cool. And you go back and if you if you watch it objectively, it's still all of those things. And it it, it overcomes all of its weaknesses, which is mostly just like some corny dialogue and some dated musical choices. Well, I love I uh, love that the all of the movies are simultaneously dated and still fresh at the same time right there, there's yeah. definitely aspects that are like you know eye rolling and corny and everything but then there's stuff that is still uh you know more in- inspired and still feels cool uh today yeah i think one of the things biggest problems they probably ended up with the sequels is with the first movie narratively they wrote themselves into some corners with how the first movie concluded um, or they could have easily stopped with that first movie and had right. just a. I mean, even though you don't see the actual Matrix coming down at the end of the movie, it's pretty much clear cut that that's what's going to happen in the immediate future. Mm-hmm. It's like it's just like it's just showing you something that you don't necessarily need to see because the we already watched this event occur and it seems very definitive as a conclusion. Uh, but then when the inevitable sequel comes along because of its success and the way they wrote up how powerful Neo is, like, well, how do you have a sequel to that? What what obstacles are he, is he going to face? Yeah, he sort you of know? becomes this godlike, 
you know, impervious character. And it's like, okay, well. And you could have a sequel to that, but it can't be a Kung Fu movie as well. Like, it no. can't just be him fighting, like, doing karate moves against uh, programs. Because he, he said, immediately uh, when the next movie starts, he's not as powerful as he was at the end of the next movie. There's these new programs that are supposed to be more powerful, but they don't actually seem more powerful because then other characters also fight them. And it, it just seems that he has superpowers when it's convenient to the plot and doesn't have them when they want to have a cool fight scene. So there's, yeah, there's some narrative issues that they probably, I'm sure encountered because of how they wrote the first one. And also I think it's definitely, there's a case of like, man, this movie is such a hit. We are geniuses. Every idea we're going to throw out on the screen is going to be great. Well, the, the, the first movie actually hilariously ends with, uh, a notion that will will come up again in Matrix Reloaded, and that is uh, hope, the quintessential yeah. human delusion. Right. <laughs> and it really is like a satisfying, like, oh, Neo's on the phone. He's going to go rescue more people. They're going to build an army and, you know, save humanity. Like, oh, cool. Like, great. Yeah. Like, that's that's all I needed to know. I'm all set. And then here at the start of Reloaded, yeah, we show up. Uh, you know, Neo is not uh, impervious to dreams and and nightmares, but uh, he has achieved godlike status as far as his uh, his his abilities inside the Matrix. Right. Now, I don't want to get into too much talking about the flaws of the sequels yet, because I mean we're here to talk about why this movie is one better than a lot of people give it credit for and why it's is specifically your favorite matrix movie beyond just like the DVD features. Right. I mean, what, what else is there beyond the DVD features? Oh, well, I guess we, the movie itself. I mean, <laughs> uh, I do love it. it. starts off like uh nice and hot because you don't even get like a, you barely get a, a, a title sequence. Right. Right. It's literally just smashing through the logo into. I can't remember if they actually show the title or not, but it's I mean, more of that that green, yeah, sort of Asian inspired code information that makes up mm-hmm. the Matrix. But it it might say Matrix Reloaded. I think it does. I think it does that. That's pretty much kind of how the first one starts too. The code turns into like it's saying the Matrix, and then boom, right into the movie. There's not an. There's no like starring title cards or directed by all that comes at the end now who gives a crap yeah uh, i do like the title though matrix reloaded because it's not only a reference to uh uh you know obviously the the sort of gun porn and and you know fetishizing of weapons from the first one right it was like right. it was all about uh, i need guns lots yeah. of guns or whatever Put popping in them clips yeah although the so funny satisfying thing is- Funny things in this movie, they never actually reload. They just throw their empty guns away and pull out new guns. <laughs> so there's, there's never. A, there's a couple scenes where they actually reload. I actually <laughs> paid like really close attention to that for some reason. Uh, but but you're right. There is a lot of scenes where uh, they are just no. pull, pulling out guns from no, these outfits that like are impossibly skin tight and do not have any pockets. But it is also right. the Matrix, right? Right. No, the guns definitely run out of bullets in the movie. Like it's not like those guns that just fire forever in some movies. But yeah, I've, the only time they can th- the only time they reload guns is when they're in the real world in Zion, 
and they have to they have to reload those mech suits. Oh, they don't even have any good guns in in the real. I hate Zion so much. That's so boring and ugly and stupid. It's the dumbest place of all time. You're not gonna like what I have to say about the oh Matrix Revolution. Oh my god! Well, we're, you're really not gonna like it. I I I think you hit on something though. Like because they've hacked the Matrix, right? Everything they can do is sort of cheat codes, right? So. Right. You can't necessarily apply like this consistent logic to it because it's like they're, they're hacking it, it's glitching, they're doing weird shit to like control it, and yeah. so you're not you're not bound by like oh if you you know the the uh, guns running out of bullets is probably part of the matrix inherent programming right, but right. their ability to you know pull out weapons and and get new weapons is probably uh, a function of their hacking the matrix right and so you can do all these crazy things uh you know that don't necessarily have any consistency between them and the same with you know some of the interactions with the agents but i do feel like that opening fight scene with neo he really is just kind of toying around with those agents he he is he has reached a supreme power level like a near omnipotence inside the matrix where he is completely calm at at every turn and you know he could waste these guys you know without breaking a sweat possibly but then also later in the movie you have uh that like that that weapons fight at the merovingians palace which is one of the coolest fights in the movie oh it's one of the greatest fights of all time the one in the chateau with the staircase oh yeah it's yeah the whole trilogy it's one of the best fights without Um, question but but also but he's definitely obviously the victor fighting against like five guys or whatever, but it's not him just like doing it in his sleep. You know, he still has to work for it. Well, and I think too, there's an element of these aren't, aren't people that he's encountered before. These are different types of, of programs or whatever you want to call them because he's used to fighting agents. Sure. But I mean, at the end of the first movie, he like comes back from the dead so he should, so theoretically we shouldn't even worry about him dying anymore because he can't die right oh no and i think that that the air of that sort of permeates this entire movie it's right. at no point is he in any real danger except except when he's not in the matrix you know which is maybe why he's not in the matrix for so much of revolutions well that's know? something that i have i have such a problem with because like here you have these people who are fighting for their lives against you know extermination vis-a-vis technology right right and yet they they sort of fetishize uh and embrace and even you know enjoy and prefer their time inside the matrix because that's where they can be their best selves and feel the most powerful and they go in there to do all the most important stuff yet yet that's not even the real world and somehow this world that is largely controlled by the machines they think they can just go in and start affecting change in the real world. It's the same problem I had with Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. I was like, if you think somehow that like you going inside this idiotic video game is going to solve your problems, it's not. Yeah. Or is it? It's not. It's literally is not. It? Yeah. It's not. It's not. I fucking hate Ready Player One, that stupid piece of shit movie. It was really bad. It's arguably one of the most infuriating. I didn't stop watching it, but goddamn, if that wasn't one of the most infuriating 
movie experiences of my life. Just the beating yeah. over the oh, the eighties were the best time to be. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Shut up. I like the eighties, but good God. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty bad. Anyways, back to the Matrix Reloaded, yeah. which is great. Um. Yeah. Well, what is great about? The, I mean, obviously, there's some flaws. There's flaws in all of them. There's some, like we said, some corners they've roped themselves into. But what is great? What do you really love about the Matrix Reloaded? Well, I think the the important part is to consider where we're where we're starting, right? So the character of Neo, right? He was a hacker working at a a dead end day job, and he you know slugged down the the red pill thanks to morpheus and now he's he's awake to the world around him that the machines are coming to kill everybody and there's no way out unless he can i guess master the martial arts and uh take everybody down uh and uh after destroying seemingly destroying his arch nemesis uh agent smith we're now uh I guess like heading, speeding closer and closer towards uh, fulfilling this prophecy of the one, um, you know, being the savior of humankind and uh, ending the war against the machines. And so it starts off with uh, Neo having a uh, anxiety fueled dream about watching his girlfriend, uh, you know, get murdered, and she uh, goes splat right into a, a car. So that's you love that. Uh... His girlfriend dies. Oh, I love a I love a dream sequence where someone yeah. goes splat into a car. Yeah. I was watching. I was looking at some gifs of that scene, and I thought that someone had added that car splat, like as a joke. Oh, right. And it's like yeah. it's really in there. <laughs> <laughs> like no shit, it's in there. That's great. Yeah, you get like they open. It's really nice that they open with like a bullet time sequence just to like hey here's that stuff that you everybody loves right everything's all slowed down it's got the concentric circles and the waves coming off the bullets and and look at the agents all you know he's got the slick back hair and the suit like here's all the stuff you love about the matrix right and then we wake up and we're back in zion and it's ugly it's dirty it's full of pipes everyone's wearing the same like ratty looking sweater what is the point in survival Honestly, that's the thing. It's like, honestly, what are they clinging to? What quality the, of life are they the clinging Matrix to? Seems much more desirable than being awake in Zion. Like in the first movie, when uh, Keanu Reeves goes like, "So I guess, I guess, like no one can go back once you're woken up." And Lawrence Fishburne goes like, "No, but even if you could, would you want to?" And the answer is yes. Oh yeah, yes, definitely. I would. Yeah, I would go back into the Matrix rather than eat like uh, oatmeal that comes out of a, a spigot. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, what honestly? Well, what what is your life like if you stay a battery for the machines? Right, you're in the matrix. Yeah. You're doing whatever. You have all these memories of just living a normal life, right? Right. And then, uh, you know, once you, you know, exhaust your usefulness, then they discard you. Your life ends in your own mind, right? So, right. what's wrong with that? Well, I mean, obviously they. C- kind of set it up in the sense that like neo doesn't seem to be anyone who has any family or is happy in life so when he's obvious, agitated right right so obviously he's he's the perfect choice to be pulled out of the matrix but it's not taking it into account that even in this dream world 
it's still your actual thoughts and your thoughts are having actual interactions with the thoughts of other people. It's not solely a dream because it's collective. It's not just my imagination, you know. You are interacting with other people in there, and they they do try to explain certain of, the, of that stuff away. Why they justify killing all these you know innocent people left and right? That that's know. one thing that I've always wondered: it, Are we to assume that every time they are beating up like a security guard or like wrecking these cars, that that is ending the lives of yes the other participants in the Matrix? Yes, and and uh, Morpheus. There's a there's a scene in the first one where Morpheus very quickly kind of explains that away. He's like, "Yeah, we're trying to free these people, but because any one of them could turn into an agent, because agents can inhabit anyone's body, like they're all potentially our enemies until we've freed them. So it's okay. You can just kill them with like without remorse. Uh, is lo- just because you know that they could turn into an agent. Well, and I wonder for the if, greater good. if the machines have any sort of safety protocols, right? If there's sort of an action uh, occurring or some kind of uh, disturbance, if they, you know, sort of have countermeasures to like, well, let's, you know, cut off as many people as we can from this area so that, you know, we don't lose too many of the life-giving human batteries. Eh, maybe or maybe they'll just grow a few a few extra. You know, people are people people are dying and being reborn every day in this in this world. We they also we they also see use... the farms, right. but we don't ever see the actual process or how, how? they grow people. Right. right, right. That's too bad. I bet it's like cool and gross. Oh, I'm sure it's gross. One thing I really like about the the sequels or this specifically reloaded is getting to see much much more of the what else is going on in the matrix right like who else is aware of what's happening and what are they doing within it you have all these rogue programs that are supposed to be deleted but are just kind of hiding out in the matrix living their own life you get to see like the what the key maker like the backdoor entrances like shortcuts between what you get to see more of what the framework of the program looks like and not just the simulation aspect of it. Are we to understand that in the same way that Tron featured a man trapped inside a computer, that Neo is essentially just wandering around through like a copy of Windows 10? Yes. Right? Like the key maker is like, he's just like a password management system. Right. Absolutely. And then like Seraph is just like a antivirus software or some shit right. like that. Is that, is yep. that, is that what's going on here? Pretty much. Yeah. Boring. No, but I, I, that's the part I think is, <laughs> I think that that's the part I think is cool. It's just like, like, why are all these people doing this? It's like, oh, because. Well, they're not people. Not people, but I mean, like, where are all these characters doing these things, or why are they here? And it's there's, you get to see that that there's a world beyond what even uh, Neo and Morpheus's like perception of what the Matrix is, you know. Uh, but if all these all these programs are performing their functions, some of their functions are translated into weird human behaviors. But they're not performing their functions. They are all those all those characters 
the Merovingian, the Keymaker, Seraph. Uh, those th- these are these are all programs that have gone rogue. I suppose. I feel no, like I mean they're, that's, sti- that's, they're still doing what they're supposed to do. I mean, maybe in the oh, well, we find that out at the end in the overall greater all scheme of things. You know. Yeah. Uh, the in the mathematical destiny or whatever it is, um, but within the movie, it's or Agent Smith. You know, like the very fact that his program was supposed to be retired, but then he decided not to, and now he's going on this weird megalomaniac thing to take over the entire Matrix, and then follow, and then after that, the entire robot machine world. He's a real delight. Despite that, the sort of corny, uh, you know, copying himself nonsense, uh, they give him a ton of fun dialogue and he really like hams it up like as this sort of, in the same way that, uh, you know, Michael Fassbender kind of goes over the top in uh, Alien Covenant, I think Agent Smith kind of does a lot of the same things and it's very entertaining to watch. Yeah, I mean, and also his, the copying himself would be fine if it wasn't for those like stupid like one-liners that he ha- has when he cop whenever he copies himself. Like, what does he say? Like, if you can't beat him, join him. And uh, <laughs> he's like, "There's a one point where like he's like copying one guy, and then the guy goes, like, it's you.' And he goes, "That's right, me, me, me," and copies him. And then the copy goes, "Me too." <laughs> and I was like, "Those are terrible." <laughs> Well, what, was he, that, what was he supposed to say nothing well that's Just nothing that's boring uh why would why would these why would these clones be talking to them? now i because do they're like, rogue programs elliot you I just you just like, said they're not they're not performing their function properly so of course they're gonna have yeah you know one-liners and quips and all kinds of nonsense i do like that these that they're not necessarily obvious completely a hive mind in the sense that sometimes when they assimilate a more powerful program the other agent smiths are afraid of the new agent smith yeah if you look in the background you see in in various scenes they have all kinds of like different goofball reactions and it's a lot of fun like at any given moment they're either gonna like cringe or nod their head or like giggle or say something and it's yeah it's as if he can't quite control them all yeah. And yet by the end of the the trilogy they're all just standing there watching completely, you know, obedient. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. But, you know, that's how machine learning works, right? It starts out right. kind of glitchy and clunky and weird and then uh refined and elegant and uh working completely as expected. What do you think of the action scenes in this in the Reloaded since that is obviously one of the main draws and one of the things that blew everyone's mind in the first movie. Like, how do you think these ones stack up against the first one or even the, the out of the entire trilogy? This movie features some of the most impressive action sequences of all time. And because the movie is sort of sparse, there's a lot of kind of dialogue sequences and characters standing around talking and being philosophical and things like that. They stand out that much more. Uh, the the fight scene at the chateau with the Merovingians, goons, uh, but then the obviously the highway, like the freeway chase. Oh, the chase is scene is phenomenal. Absolutely unbelievable. They wrecked like two two or three hundred cars on a 
they were on like a, a air force base. They, they built a fake sect, like a, two miles of fake highway or something. Yeah, just unbelievable stuff. And if you watch what's going on in some of these shots, one car will start to flip, and then, and I'm so glad that so many of those shots are in slow mo. Normally, I'd be like, oh, what do you? The slow mo is dragging everything down. You you can take a minute to appreciate what the just what the hell's happening in some of these mm-hmm. scenes where one car will flip and three others will like twist sideways and like be standing on one end and one car actually launches completely upside down and f- like fires itself uh onto the top of another car and there's an incredible like third person shot from inside another car watching that happen yeah it's just breathtaking stuff the the yeah the, the chase is phenomenal there's a lot it's predominantly practical effects uh, the CGI that is in it is pretty seamless. And there's even stuff where I watched like a breaking down of the scene. I was like, oh, I did not realize that wasn't practical because it was handled so well. Unlike some of the stuff in the other parts of the movie, you know, because I, like you said, this movie has some of the best action scenes committed to film, but also has some of the most baffling ones at other times too. Yeah. And I think the, probably the, the freeway chase is the best merging of the two uh there's definitely still some dodgy cgi and then that final kind of semi impact and explosion but obviously like that would be nearly impossible to do in a practical and safe way so that's understandable but yeah that freeway chase is incredible uh the other scenes that stand out like i said the the fight scene at the uh, merovingians yeah um i really like the fight scene between neo and Seraph, who's played mm-hmm. by Colin Chu, who is a pretty accomplished martial artist. He's been in a lot of Jet Li movies. He's worked with Jackie Chan and Stephen Chow and uh, plenty of others. Um, a lot of people, you know, aren't very interested in that because there isn't a ton of wire work or kicks or anything like that. But as far as like portraying like a struggle and also showing off martial arts, uh, that's kind of permeated throughout the movie the style in which they showcase the martial arts. There's a lot of sweeping camera movements or stationary camera movements with some kind of fun kind of zooms uh, in and out as a reference to kind of classic Kung Fu movies. It has a very much more old school feel. Yeah, but for the most part, they're allowing uh, the the martial arts to show themselves off. And like you just kind of appreciate the beauty uh, and how all that looks versus, you know, something like the Bourne Identity or, right. uh, you know, Nolan's Batman films where you can hardly tell what's going on because, the, yeah. you know, the fighting isn't that particularly good. Which can sometimes, I do think sometimes can be effective. For oh, like definitely. Individual, individual fight scenes. But yeah, like a lot of the times it's just overused or used to cover something up or a bad stylistic choice. Um, yeah, I find that fight between Neo and Seraph, uh much much better than something like the what do they call it the multi the giant uh, agent smith brawl yeah like where neo's fighting 100 agent smiths to, you know, at the same time like much that sarah fight is a much better fight for as brief and simple as it is yeah and it also has a point to it right right he's sort of acting as the the bodyguard for the oracle and wants to make sure that neo is indeed the one and not just some random goof and so he's got to test him by fighting him um which i think is neat because it sort of points to seraph as possibly being uh one of the previous ones oh i never thought about that 
that that's something I kind of on this this watch through I started thinking about um, characters like the Merovingian characters like Seraph, uh, and actually Seraph uh, later on in the Matrix Revolutions. There's some dialogue that even kind of cements it because he says to Agent Smith during a confrontation, "I've beaten you before." That's true, I- implying that you know they've they've kind of already been through this rigmarole so see now i kind of yeah i thought about that i kind of thought about that in the sense of um because he was i mean he's not as powerful as neo but he's more powerful than an average person in the matrix without why why he would stand a chance against an agent he also appears different to neo right That's he's got true. that orange glow right which again in revolutions would become kind of central and, and critical to the the plot and become extremely significant. So, yeah. Yeah. That's what now I would now I never, yeah, that's an interesting take. Yeah. Seraph is awesome. But, uh, yeah, I think that I actually think the, but he's a, but no, but he couldn't be, he know, but Seraph is, is a program, not a, not a human that's been awoken. I suppose. I think that it, this is, I don't, can't remember if this is my theory or if, I heard about it somewhere else or read about it or whatever, but I think that when obviously there's been six versions of the matrix, when the, when the previous one makes the choice and decides to take, you know, however, however many people it is from the matrix to restart Zion. I think that the one is sort of absorbed into the system. Wow. Okay. And that's where you get characters like, like there's a reference. Um, what's what's her name? Persephone. Oh, I don't Mon- know. Mon- Monica Bellucci's character. Oh, I don't know what her name is. Uh, but she references. She's like, you know, when me and my husband first came here, he was more like you. Yeah. And then over time, he became something else. So it's like the one gets absorbed into the system, and then just becomes something else. So like he was sort of a, the Merovingian is sort of a corrupted version of the one who sort of lusts for power and indulgences. And, you know, he's kind of the, the id running wild, right? He's all horned up and giving people orgasms in restaurants and stupid shit like that. If the movie, you know, spent more time exploring these ideas rather than just endless conversations about like, what is real is real this is real that like is like if you know like the problem like, the problem here is choice the pseudo <laughs> the pseudo intro to philosophy 101 conversations uh see that that's what i liked about a, it driving at a community college you know that's what i liked about it when i first saw it i was like i recognized all these ideas and concepts from my philosophy classes i was like oh right i, I understand these words this is great and everybody else was just scratching their heads so i felt you know that that feeling of superiority <laughs> yeah i i just saying like i obviously i understand what they're doing like the first one i feel did a bit, little better job of just taking a pretty basic co- concept from philosophy and running with it as a story set set off point where as the sequels get a, go along, like every one of they could have all benefited from, you know, about 30 minutes trimming of these pseudo intellectual ta- dialogue scenes. It's true. But I, I feel like most of these characters delivering uh, this dialogue and, and these scenes is kind of like pleasant and soothing in a way. 
and then it's it's a nice like cool down in between all the action sequences. It's more interesting to me when like Agent Smith, you know, poses these philosophical questions because he hasn't thought about any of these things prior. He's just like, I'm a guy here to do my job. I'm a program. That's what I do. And now he's had like this. Yes, beginning he's self real as software having an existential crisis. Uh, yes, so it's, I, I, what he's just freaking out with me, like, did you know I was going to do that? But if you knew I was going to do that, then you did this, and then that's, and I'm, and then I'm blah, 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 and he's just going off on these little tangents. That to me works way better than uh, Morpheus going like, I don't believe in fate. Wait, yes, I do. Oh, don't get me started on Morpheus. And the first, yeah, like the movie can never really decide if they believe in. Uh, fate or personal choice. Well, Morpheus starts off in the in the first Matrix as this sort of uh, spiritual leader, and you know, s- seemingly someone who knows what's going on. But then, mm-hmm. as you get into Reloaded, he doesn't know shit. He no. knows as much as everyone else. It's just when he gets in the Matrix and puts on his John Lennon sunglasses, he has more sort of cryptic things to say than the next person. Mm-hmm. And he he also believes in this prophecy that seemingly no one else does. Like he, right. he it's like he made it up, <laughs> right? <laughs> and also, right. like, why why would you trust the oracle? The oracle is part of this machine program. Well, they don't even know they they didn't even know that she was uh, a program until the second one when Neo could start like looking at the code all the time. But they should but have what been did they to... think she was? Just a right. person? Right. Yeah, that's that's never true. That's not a flaw of this movie or the first movie. That's a flaw of the whole franchise is this these things that we're just supposed to outright accept as a given. But at the same time, I, I can see how you could rationalize it as, uh, you know, the quintessential human delusion, right? It's hope. They're hoping that this is, they're finding something to believe in in all this right. strife and chaos because there's nothing else, right? They have well, nothing. Where... And then all these people have created like these splinter religions, right? Like the uh, uh, Lynx uh, girlfriend uh, has all the, I don't know what it is. Um, she's got all these goofy necklaces and stuff. And he's like, oh, I don't believe in that stuff. He doesn't believe in right. ju- jewelry, I guess. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but um, everyone's sort of like just grasping at straws because life is garbage they're living in zion in fucking the plumbing world uh and it's terrible well that's where these i'm saying these these concepts could have been more interesting if we went into those a little bit more and less into the you know uh uh what would you call it the just like Musing on the stars, conversations. Yeah, it's vagaries. What is reality? And then when you get when you encounter the architect, you know you've had all these these conversations about like fate versus choice and blah blah blah. And you encounter the architect, and you find out that it is a destiny that there is the one, but it's just from a mathematical error. You know, yeah, it's a mathematical destiny, not like a not a you know supernatural destiny. That's a cool concept, and you could have a more satisfying conclusion to these ideas if they weren't bogged down by the weight of everything else. One of my favorite moments from that whole architect sort of monologue. And that's actually like one of my favorite fight scenes in the whole, the whole series. Cause they're just, 
they're just trading barbs, right? Yeah. But um, the architect is, he does his sort of opening salvo of like nonsense. Mm-hmm. And then Neo says, you haven't answered my question. And then he, the, the architect smirks and goes, quite right. As if he yeah. was like, I, yeah, I've been ram- rambling off this bullshit and uh, you're, the speed at which you pick up on that is determines my level of like respect for you. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, that's one of the things that's cool. Cause I think one of the things I think people do miss, uh, miss the point about that scene is you just pointed out is everyone always makes fun about how the architect talking is like, ah, he's not saying anything like, yeah, that's the point. He's just saying a bunch of gobbledygook to try and confuse this guy. And then it doesn't work. But then also Neo makes the the wrong and selfish choice to go save Trinity, right? He does the wrong thing. And then when he gets out of the Matrix and he's like, well, guys, uh, everything was a lie. And, uh, you know, I don't know what to do, but uh, that's that. I don't know. Wait a second. Like, you made the choice, dickhead. I don't know if he actually makes the wrong or selfish choice because one, there's no, at this point, there's still no reason to trust anything that any of these programs are telling you. So if you're just taking what the architect says at face value, uh, then maybe it's the wrong choice. But also this could just be a lie, another system of control. And also if Neo believes that there's still a chance uh, to save the world with this new info that the other ones didn't ha- didn't see, you know, then maybe it is not the selfish choice, but th- the better choice. And ultimately, it does become the better choice, I guess. But now uh, he'll never know, right? He could have taken the other door, and maybe because he was a special version of the one, he was a unique the one, he was the one of the ones, that he could have done something different rather than the, whatever was laid out by the architect. But he'll never know because he ran off to pull a bullet out of, you know, Trinity's stomach. But the other, no, because going through the other door comes down to the conclusion that everybody in Zion is going to be exterminated and then he gets to pick like 12 people to repopulate it. So that's what well, there's a quarter, a quarter uh, hundred million, there's 250 million people in Zion. So that's the, that would be the alternate choice is just to doom ultimately doom them definitively to death. Whereas in the other choice, he takes a chance. I guess. No, he takes a chance with the lives of what? 7 billion people. Cause they said they would exterminate everyone plugged into the matrix as well. And just live on goo. Uh, <laughs> wearing tattered sweaters. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, circling back, the the action in this movie is unbelievable, and yeah. even that the fight scene against the the many Smiths is really good and really impressive up until they start doing the CGI bits because there's sort yeah. of a, a a threshold they cross where it's like, whoop, now it's gonna get cartoony, and yeah. the the fir- the initial kind of opening bit is really strong, and the the fight choreography is very impressive and. Shouts out to Keanu Reeves for just learning martial arts and doing most of that shit. I think mm-hmm. there was over like 250 individual moves he had to do for that entire fight, which is absurd. So uh, it's a very impressive physical it, human feat. Yes, I agree with the, the beginning portion of that. That's but I'm, where a lot of the baffling stuff comes in in this movie. Um, and it starts there and continues... I mean, I think it starts with him being able to fly. 
Yeah, but that's from the that's from the other that starts in the other movie. That's the, that's the last scene of the other movie. Oh, is it? Yeah, the last scene is him like the camera pans out, and you just see this little thing floating up, and then it comes up right into frame, and it's a Neo flying through the sky. Oh, that's right. I will say uh, though that the flying bit does redeem itself by the end because when he's racing to save Trinity's life and he's got all that shit flying behind him. That's awesome. It is very impressive and it gives you such a sense of like, this is arguably the most powerful being that exists in this reality. Or just puts that, or just puts that concept of power. If someone had that power into the physical world, because the same thing would be happening when Superman flies by stuff, but we've never seen that. We've never seen the, the wake of destruction that would occur from, someone just using that level of power in the world. Right. And someone pointed out, I think it was like CinemaSins or something like that. They pointed out that, you know, this was the the sort of um, the uh, the prototype or the, you know, the model for how Superman should be portrayed. Like, but this was, you know, however, 10 or 12 years, you know, prior. Oh, you're talking about like the Man of Steel or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I still haven't seen those movies, but I've heard heard things. I like the first Man of Steel. I hate movie. Superman, stupid Superman. Fair enough. Wake uh, wake me up when he gets the the super dog, Crypto the super dog, wearing <laughs> yeah. a cape. Yeah. Then I'll watch. Um, no, but in that, but in that, uh, the baffling choices made are like the amount of slow mo close ups on CGI faces. Yeah. Is just like what, or even just. Uh, slow-mo close-ups on the face of a stuntman which also occurs yeah and i mean they did the thing where you know hugo weaving was the original smith obviously and they got a bunch of guys who looked kind of like him and and then tried to put uh, his face or a version of his face on top of them and mm-hmm. especially now like in the theater uh it worked right being you know mm-hmm. broadcast or uh, uh, projected onto a movie theater screen it worked pretty well. Now I'm watching this on a, you know, high def TV uh, in super high uh, HD um, on HBO Max, and man, I can see all the damn holes. Right. All all the phony looking stuff. All the guys that don't even look close in the background. Right. You know who you didn't notice them before. Now they're front and center. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. For me, they did. They the. The, the never the never really sold it for me. And I think it was because once you show that slow-mo CGI and then transition it into regular speed, you've already become too far aware that you're watching a cartoon. So when you cut to regular speed CGI, it just seems like a the cartoon's speeding up. Whereas if they had never done that, you could have cut back and forth much more successfully between real characters and quick, fast cuts of CGI characters. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know? And that's something they don't do in Revolution, so it was a lesson learned, I guess. But I don't know how you're editing that scene and go, like, you don't stop and say, no, we should speed this scene up and not do a slow-mo freeze frame on Keanu Reeves' CGI face. doesn't make any sense. Well, I'm sure at the time they were just like, wow, I can't believe we pulled this off. Maybe. I mean, yeah, definitely, you know, it definitely seems like there's a case of the first movie, there was this 
thing where like, oh, look at all this stuff we pulled off, these new groundbreaking special effects, and we did it. We pulled it off. And now a pressure to like one-up it. Mm-hmm. And maybe the maybe from a technical standpoint, the, a lot of the stuff they were doing was impressive for the time, but not from a narrative movie-watching standpoint. It just that doesn't work. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it doesn't work. I think this movie sucks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I like this movie a lot. I like it too. No, I think it's it's, my, it's pretty it's... easy to forgive uh, some of those flaws, especially like now that we're this far removed. And I think we're going to start yeah. seeing that more and more with movies um, instead of us forgiving practical effects or the limitations of, you know, 70s, 80s, and 90s movies. Mm-hmm. In terms of effects, I think we're going to start forgiving, uh, you know, the levels of CGI, uh, especially oh, it's, for. It, it's it's wild though that you know movies like Terminator Two and Jurassic Park still look really good because they made smart choices with the effects. Well, well right. So it was by design by filmmakers who were, you know, come came from a different school of thought. And as you know, we progress through the last you know 30 40 years of film history like they're going to become so far removed from that that everything's going to kind of change uh as far as the the lens that we're viewing all these movies through and it'll be interesting to see which ones can stand the test of time and which ones you know like this one will sort of have their their gaping holes i think you could always forgive the technical limitations of the time uh, it's just, I think it's more so the narrative choices of the uh, that are made. And if those narrative choices affect the special effects, that's what's harder to forgive. You know, if you're using special effects for a narrative purpose, but you make a bad narrative decision with those special effects, that's harder to work around. And speaking of bad narrative decisions, I think it's time to talk about uh, Morpheus's speech and the subsequent dance, dance sequence from this movie because that was a big. I mean, I think that stood out to everybody, every man, woman, and child that saw this movie. And that is definitely a scene where when the people were making it, they're like, "This is going to be so cool, so inspirational. It's going to yeah. the human condition, the human spirit is going to triumph. This and is going like, to be." We're gonna we're gonna churn this like gritty like you know like what I mean like they're playing drum steel drums and stuff but we're gonna turn it into a rave scene which there's another thing too with like the the technology in Zion is kind of all over the place like they don't have clothes uh, that aren't rags the instruments they're playing are just like old oil drums yet they have spaceships and lasers and yeah, like, magnetic fields magnetic fields and it's like you're telling me they couldn't they didn't have a you know uh speakers and uh an electric guitar or something for this <laughs> i i can sort of see the uh, this the like the grain of an idea though is that th- right. they're so dependent on technology that culturally they want to regress to like a simpler more like primal sure. kind of sort of living so i i I guess i i get that but at the same time yeah it uh i mean morpheus's speech first of all is it's fine but you get these weird there's some awful cut-ins of him visibly in front of a phony cgi crowd 
and like an uh, like an ADR'd like portions of his speech and every time it cuts to him standing there with his fists in the air it's just like it kills whatever momentum that he had just had like five seconds previously and it's just like it 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 helps kind of cement this as extremely corny and eye-rolling and just kind of the the speeches like the motivational inspirational speeches i guess the first one really doesn't have one of those but this one has at least one. Revolutions has a couple. And that's a none bunch. Of, Revolutions is chock full of them. None of them, none of them land. None of them get you riled up and ready to go, you know? Uh, which is unfortunate uh, for multiple reasons. Well, you want to, ideally, you would side with these people in their struggle, right. but at the same time, like they're needlessly suffering and their their modern life is is hell and um you know what's the point everybody just get back in the matrix and stop worrying so right. much this like whole like oh we we know the truth and it's you know the truth is so important and it's we we see it for what it actually is and not the 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 artifice of it and all of that stuff it's like well you know, quality of life is certainly something to, to consider. But yeah, yeah Morpheus, uh, I don't know. This idea, yeah, him and Niobe, uh, like flirting. I, I remember when you used to dance. It's like, so, well, that whole, some things never change. That whole love, that whole love tri- triangle doesn't work because they make <sighs> what the other dude, Locke, they make yeah. him such... An irrational bad guy. Oh, and like Astral Dick two thousand. Like he's that. It's not believable. There's no. There's no. There's never any moment where you feel like there's ever any type of anything going on between him and Niobe. They never feel like they're a couple. You know, they don't. They don't feel like a good couple. They don't feel like a bad couple. They just feel like people who know each other. And I know there's relationships like that, but it doesn't even feel like they are in a relationship. So at this this back and forth between the three of them, it never feels like it's a love triangle. It just feels like uh Niobe and Morpheus sort of flirting for some reason. Well Locke, Locke is Locke shows no favorable traits. No. He is he, and he also doesn't act like anyone else. No. Like even the the sort of rough around the edges people of Zion still like have kind of a, a like a, a softer vibe to them. And he is just like, he is such a hard edged dick. He's like this, this type of person just doesn't exist. No, anymore. exactly. He's so ludicrous in his behavior and he, operates, and why would she be She has exhibited no traits that, that would be attracted it, to this guy. Exactly. Like, like, yeah, know, like it just doesn't make any sense. It's nothing like she doesn't have any sort of like, maybe she has like some sort of vulnerability that makes her, you know, susceptible to his type of mental abuse, nothing and no positive quality for her to be like, well, you know what? Like, yeah, he's an asshole, but also he's got a blah, 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 you know, none of that. And also just as a character in the movie, he exists solely as a plot device, you know, to create tension or move the plot, or move the story ahead at times, but he's so over the top. It does. It's not effective, you know. Yeah. It's like in 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 the in the third one. There's a scene where he's like, 
uh, like the, like he's like he tells them to blow the EMP to take out the the Sentinels. Then they do, and then he criticizes them for blowing the EMP because like you just took down all our defenses. And yeah. it's like you don't you don't think ahead. Like I you think we've won right here, but like you did this and you screwed everything up. Like you told them to do that. Like so he's he's literally just there to cause conflict in every scene, even when the conflict is something he's created himself. It's he's just a scene an inter a character going around in a circle. He's not involved in the rest of the story. Yeah. Yeah, and he's he ends up just in the in revolutions, he ends up just being so much filler and kind of helping move along like this what what ultimately is more like a war movie. Right. Uh, he's just there to sort of shout things and bark orders at people and he he doesn't even get the moment of like he just kind of disappears from it eventually like at the end when they're victorious there's not even a scene of him being like 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 being like oh my god they were right they did it you know or 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 even if him being pissed off that he was wrong that doesn't even happen you know yeah just he like could have just... showed he could have showed up and been like wow morpheus you the one like something that provided some <laughs> so level of stupid. yeah <laughs> <laughs> some level of of capability of reacting like a human uh, you know that would have re- possibly redeemed his character slightly but instead he just disappears yeah i wonder if uh, there's something he had that got cut i don't know i don't it, think so to, but that would be, be interesting at, at least mm. now i will say and this is probably going to i don't know how you're going to feel about it well, I do like The Matrix Reloaded a lot more than a lot of people. And I think there's some cool stuff in it. I think there's some cool stuff, ideas that get uh, brought up that no, this kind of disappear um, from the story, which is unfortunate because they were intriguing or whatever and possibly could have made the trilogy as a whole better. While I think it has some of the stand most standout moments of the trilogy, it is actually my least favorite movie of the trilogy as a cohesive whole. And I even like, I actually like Matrix Matrix Revolutions better than Reloaded as a whole. See, before I could, I was going to try and stop you there before you said something really kooky that would, you know, make people think that you're, you're starting to lose it. But I, like you, uh, I didn't just watch Matrix Reloaded in order to prepare for this episode. I also, I just wanted to keep going with the story because Reloaded is, it definitely feels like an in-between. Yeah. Right? You sort of, you start off in the, it feels like you start off in the middle and then you end, you know, with a very unsatisfying kind of cliffhanger. And so it really does encourage you to keep going. And when you sandwich Revolutions and Reloaded together, it feels like one big movie. But, yeah. But Revolutions is definitely like very straightforward by the numbers kind of linear storytelling without too oh, many totally. abstract ideas or or kind of detours or anything like that. Uh it's it's very like it moves along and is, you know, pretty rewarding. So you mm-hmm. you get a lot of what you didn't get in Reloaded. So I'm guessing right. that's what what you got out of it. Kind of. I mean, I think honestly, uh, I think the there's some like Reloaded has a couple interesting concepts that are introduced that pay off a little bit better, like the whole like train station scene. I think it's kind of cool, and I, I there's there's a definitive conclusion to how that works rather than starting off with an idea and just kind of abandoning it when you got distracted with a new idea. Uh, I think some of the fight scenes are the most boring in this one. 
like that fight at the Merovingians club with like the gunfight with those guys who jump on the ceiling. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. I think that's very dull. No, it's, it's unfortunately just sort of a rehash of the first matrix and yeah. it, it kind of pales in comparison and doesn't really, it's like, ah, oh, here's, here's some more of that, but it's really, they didn't have any really anything. I mean, they already like blew their load on that, that original one. So like, this just seems like a, a lesser version exactly. of that, unfortunately. Exactly. Right. And, uh, the Agent Smith fight at the end where it kind of just turns into like a Dragon Ball Z thing is not oh, the best. Yeah. Uh, there's still some cool stuff in it and there's some cool... I think I that, like. that opening sort of brawl yeah, when, when they first run towards each other because you see a... You can kind of see the the conceptualization of the choreography where they're... Neo's still doing some of his martial arts, but it's much more of a brawling style, and it's just simple, like, blocks and, like, heavy strikes. It's, right. like, it's real dirty compared mm-hmm. to what he's doing most of the time. So right, yeah. Stuff it's like that's really much cool. Much more visceral. Yeah. But, yeah, then they start just flying around and tumbling around, and, I mean, they're kind of breaking the simulation, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, by just sort of flailing around in, in the middle of the air and, you know, creating these huge impact bubbles and everything, which is sort of cool, but... Yeah, by the end, it's like the fighting doesn't really matter. Like you're you're headed towards this end game of, right? Uh, you know them merging and whatever the fuck. But what what ultimately, and I think you hit the nail on the head when you just said like they're just kind of that one that other fight with the at the Merovingians just seems like a rehash of the first one, and they already blew their load. Like you get to this point with the Matrix, the fights within the Matrix itself, as like been there, done that. We've seen all this stuff. But I think the action scenes in the real world are predominantly pretty effective. And I think, I know you don't like, yeah, you don't like Zion because it's like boring and gross and sad. Ugly. But I think the, ugly. ugly. But I think the battle for Zion is actually really. I mean, really... like a weave a rug or something, like, or it's like, <laughs> some, like a tapestry, like put up some curtains. I don't know. Something. It's just there, like. There curtains for the zero windows. <laughs> yeah. Just decorate for decoration's sake. Yeah, it's just fucking awful have, in there. Have some. There could definitely be a character within that world. Yeah, jazz uh, it up. You have but, nothing but time to weave, you know, like a blanket or some curtains and drapes, something. I don't know. I don't know. Draw, paint a picture, put it on the wall. A drop cloth. You ever heard of a drop cloth? Oh my god! What happened to needlepoint? Does needlepoint not exist yeah, anymore? Yeah, man. They should have like laser needle points or something. Yeah, but yeah, I think that the battle for Zion is very effective. I think most of the action choreography is pretty good for the most part, and also just narrow from a narratively, like it, it, they do very well in the sense that like everybody has a job that has to be done. Like there's all these different characters, and this person has to do this, so this can happen, and that, and that, and like you're. So you create a lot of tension build up to like if everyone doesn't do their job right, this one thing that has to doesn't happen and then everyone loses, you know. So it do, I think it does a very good job at orchestrating drama and tension uh, in that respect. Oh, yeah. So it's, I, it's really breathtaking and sort of edgier seat thrill ride stuff like all the. Uh, the battle scenes against the machines and then the yeah. the little sort of uh, you know sub fight between the uh, 
the little teams with the rocket launchers and the, yeah. against the drills. Uh, those are yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, and I mean, like, it's definitely something that gets you... We talked about, like, sometimes not really caring or getting motivated about certain characters uh, or speeches that don't inspire. But, like, I in that, in that scene, I care about everybody that's in, involved, even that annoying kid character. Oh, man, that damn wiener. He's like, he's, a, he's annoying. Hi, Neo, Neo, you're my hero, Neo. I love yeah. you so much. Do you want he's, One day I, I'm going to grow up and we're going to get married. He's insufferable in all of, of Reloaded, in most of Revolutions, and even though he's so annoying, like, ultimately, like, you end, I end up rooting for him at, in his final, like, heroic moment, even though he's a fucking inseparable character up until that point, you know, because I think the scene is orchestrated so well. I hate his final moment so much. Where he goes, Neo, I believe. No. That's that that's all well and good. I'm oh, talking when about he, when he declares that the war is oh, over yeah. just because the machine stopped for a second. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He even after the battle, his battle moment where I'm like, yes, do it, kid. You can do it. After that, he's instantly insufferable again. Like I, he, like, I hate the character, but it's just in that one moment I care about him, which is, I think, uh you know shows how well that 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 segment of the movie is executed yeah well now we've seen now we've transitioned into just talking about the whole series haven't we i guess we have we haven't talked much about the first one but whatever. no everybody knows the everyone the, the yeah, first one get out of here it's like it's good there's a couple dumb things in it who cares no, but it was all new and fresh and exciting, yeah. and you're like, where is this going? What's going to happen? I don't know. I don't understand anything. Yeah, now it was like you jump ahead to the sequels, and you're like, okay, now I'm looking to get get some satisfaction and some resolution, and I need to know where all this is going. And Well, and I mean, like, the sequels are huge and bloated and can't hold up under their own hubris of ideas and just too many things going on at once. None of them really fleshed out entirely, but at the same time, like the expectation level for those sequels was so ludicrous. Oh yeah. That they, they set themselves up for disappointment. Unfortunately, the bar was like impossibly high. Right. And, and then, so then the audience expectations, like honestly, probably the best thing to do, like I said, would be to not make a movie, the sequels that are, uh, as action oriented or like kung fu movies, like they have to take a completely new route because of how the first one ends. But no one would have accepted that either, you know. Uh, you you you're saying they wouldn't have accepted the programming? They would have rejected it. They would have rejected the programming. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I'm I've have been wondering is, do you think that the twins are some kind of analog for the the Wachowskis? Like, is this their kind of, without actually being played by them, is this their, like, Hitchcockian sort of cameo in Matrix know. Reloaded? I don't know. I've now, I know they, I, recently I was listening to an interview with, I can't remember if it was, yeah, it was with both of them. And it was a recent interview, so... It was after both of them going through transition and stuff, and they did talk about do putting things in the movie like that as representations of themselves or what was going on. And with like, like in the first one, they said that uh, the character Switch is not a trans character, but is a metaphor for a trans character. 
or a trans person. Oh, interesting. Um, uh, because one, well, her her name is Switch. Uh, in the one world, she's not allowed to be herself, and then there's the way she's born versus the way she sees herself within the Matrix and all these things. So is she the a, one who's she's the only one dressed in white? Yes. I knew it. So in that, I feel like that is part of the motif, right? Because the twins are the only ones dressed in white. Well, that's true. Yeah. And they, the, I know the, at some point the Wachowskis had, they both had dreads and some of the dialogue that the twins have is sort of like, I feel like is kind of like, ha ha ha. What if the, you know, the directors w- would think or say this? Um, sure. Yeah. I never thought about that, but know. that's a good point. It's like they're they're going through the 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 freeway chase like halfway yeah. through, and it's like you know you're in it, and it's been going on for a while, and uh, you know they both sit in the truck and they go, "We are getting impatient." Yes, mm-hmm. we are. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. that feels like kind of like an inside joke that a director would would just create. Right, Plus, like, the the characters are just kind of there for like no reason. No, I mean they're to just be like goons to be and cool enforcers. And like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't. Really, I, I only caught like a, po- a portion of the interview, like in the in on the radio. So, but they were. So I don't. I don't remember them specifically talking about the twins, but they talked about like how throughout the movies there's, I guess, nods about themselves or yeah, you know what they what themes that they were trying to represent based on their own like personal feelings and struggles of their own identity and stuff. So I would not be surprised if what you're suggesting is accurate. That it is just like a roundabout director cameo without them actually being in it. Yeah. But they're not actually twins though in real life. No, yeah, but that doesn't matter. No, but I mean they're siblings. You know, they're they're credited here as the Wachowski brothers. Right. Yes, so, in the so first movies, yes. Yeah, so they're this there's sort of a unit. They're they're yeah. a, a collective. So it would make sense that they would kind of fashion themselves as as twins. Right. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a that's an interesting prospect. Yeah, that's what I like about this movie is there's a lot of fun stuff to think about. There's a lot of details to consider and um, you know things to look at and just uh, you know think about. And regardless of uh, I don't know, it's like I said, it's the the whole movie is sort of a bridge to get from the Matrix to you know revolutions and you know right. sort of the final battle. And all that, but you know the the way they get there is, I think, uh, kind of dazzling. And I think, like, like yeah. the, the scenes we've already talked about, right? These this handful of like big action scenes, um, and these characters interacting, and um, uh, you know things like Neo facing off with the uh, the architect. I think that stuff is really really interesting whether it sort of is completely cohesive or or not is obviously up for debate but i think you know neo is sort of wandering around at this ascended level meeting these other like he's sort of ascended into like valhalla almost and he's meeting all the different gods and really like understanding his place in the world well that's you know like we said, like both saying like earlier about like how successful some of these ideas execute are, how well they're executed isn't necessarily have to do with if they were good or bad ideas. And one thing I like about the, the movies that I think a lot of people dislike is a lot of people thought the conclusion was kind of unsatisfactory because you don't really have this like, I did it, we beat the bad guys, 
and it's over and we're all heroes. You don't really have that because the matrix is still up. Uh, the, the actual war itself is ended and the people within the matrix are going to get a more definitive choice to leave or stay, but it's nothing. It's not like, Oh, this side won, this side lost, which is much more like in real life, like the end of an actual war, you know, there's rarely this uh, conclusion where it's like bad guys won, good guys, or good guys won, bad guys lost. But because the movie does present itself as being kind of like a big action movie first, maybe that doesn't isn't as successful, even though that's one of the parts about it that I like. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, I think you hit on something. It is more of a like a ceasefire versus yeah. a you know, the war's over and now we can go live above ground and, uh, you know, the machine city is going to chill out so that like the clouds will separate and we'll be able to see the sun again. And you know what I mean? That, right. That sort of idealistic ending is not really, you, you get to see that inside the matrix, but not in reality. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's, that's oddly enough too, is like the movie, the end of this movie uh, of revolutions kind of sets up, the possibility of another sequel where they go, where like the little girl program says to the Oracle, like, will we ever see Neo again? And even though he's like apparently dead, right? Yeah. He's not even like a little dead, like really dead. He seems to be completely dead, dead, dead. Like that's the, that's the fair assumption. And then the Oracle goes, yes, I suspect we just might, you know, but I think perhaps even though these movies were huge successes, perhaps it was obvious that there after this one and the disappointment, you know, maybe not in dollars, but in reception, that it might not be the wisest thing to run right ahead with another sequel in the next couple of years because it could flop. Um, but we are getting one this year. Wow. I think people will go see it regardless. No, I think people will. I think people I think, will go I, see it. They'll just, they'll just go. I think the waiting was probably smart is what I'm saying in terms of making a sequel. I don't think there was, I don't think there was the enthusiasm for a fourth movie right after it ended. But I think now there'll be enough time has passed that people will be intrigued and how it's going to continue. I think the, the number of people who are like "Mm, this, the last sequel really turned me off from this franchise are a staggering minority. And I, I think the number of people who are like, Oh, they're doing another one of those. Yeah. I'll go see it. Yeah, yeah. No, now, now, for sure. I think it could have been a flop if it came out two years after Revolution. I still think people would have would have gone and seen it. Sure. I'm probably, you're probably right, but maybe but maybe not enough in the terms of how big the budget is. You know what I mean? Like, is it going to... Sometimes movies make hundreds of millions of, of dollars, but are still considered flops because they, they were so expensive to make, you know? Oh, sure. Well, they can have my money, honestly. If, if I... I'm still watching Terminator movies uh, and still right. interested in that franchise. Uh, I mean, I'll go see whatever they put out. Honestly, I don't care how yeah. many how many misfires. Like, I'll give you another shot. Let's see what you got. Yeah, totally. So, same with Aliens. Same with all that shit. Oh yeah, of course. Like, we'll all go to see it. We'll all go see it. But um, I won't watch a television adaptation, though. In in most cases, it took me. It took me over 10 years, like maybe 13 years 
to watch Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles television But you keep show. telling me how much you love that show now. Yeah. Yeah. And I've never but, watched that. But when it originally came out, I was like, ah, it's stupid. I don't want to watch yeah, that yeah. Terminator TV show. That's going to be terrible. And now, yeah, 13 years later, I was like, ah, oh, there's nothing on TV. Let me give this a shot. And uh, I'm enjoying the hell out of it just because it's more Terminator junk. Yeah. It's just more Terminator junk. Do you remember that there was, before Reloaded came out, there was a short film that was supposed to bridge the two movies called like the flight of the Osiris. It was like, Oh la- yeah. The last voyage of the Osiris. Yeah. Right. And they, the only way you could see it is if you went and saw the movie Dreamcatcher. Was that the only way to see it? I mean, eventually it came out like a, remember there was like that animatrix DVD yeah. and it was on that. And then eventually oh. it was like put on, on that when that came out like a year later. Or yeah. That's where later. I saw it. But if you wanted to see it before you saw Matrix Reloaded, you had to go see Dreamcatcher, oh, and that's how awesome. they were, that's how, and that's how they got people to go see Dreamcatcher, that's which was awesome. The first movie we did on this podcast. Yeah, it was. That's episode zero. Yeah. So it's all come full circle. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you find that you really like, or just perplexing that you want to add? Like maybe that's not in the what didn't have a spot in our overall rundown, but just you don't want to leave behind or not mention. That's an excellent question. No, I mean, it's really like all the kind of stuff we laid out. And then, I mean, I have a real soft spot for like the Merovingian it being yeah. like this sort of sleazy, you know, French guy who's like indulging in excesses. And, you know, he's just like living it up in the matrix, like, which is right. what you should be doing. And, uh, I guess he's a bad guy who lusts for power. I don't know what his purpose is, but I'm very entertained by that character and that whole subplot. So, um, but yeah, aside from that, I think that's like I was saying. It's just sort of this. This story is just Neo kind of wandering through this uh, pantheon of of odd and strange and interesting characters, and uh, seemingly with no particular purpose until the really the end uh and then you get a weird sort of you know smith transferring himself into this bane character and then you know cutting himself just to experience what it's like living inside of a flesh bag or whatever that's one of my favorite parts actually of the whole thing really is yes i sort of roll my eyes as soon as he picks up the telephone and gets sucked into it as if like this is the first time he'd ever discovered that they could do that, and I don't think it's the had first no time he ever previous knowledge of how that worked. It's the first time they've maybe have had the opportunity, and also, 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 it's not even it's not even the opportunity, but it is the the perhaps it is the forethought because before remember he's a rogue now he's a rogue program right. He's a rogue program, but also no. How could he have done that before? Because oh, I guess he was still plugged in, right? So he wouldn't even attempt exa- something like that. Okay, exactly. He, was, fine. he wouldn't have attempted something like that. He and had the thing in his ear. The and the other thing was the only way he was able to answer the phone. It wasn't just him answering the phone. It was him answering the phone after he took over the body of right. somebody else, which is a new power he has. So he couldn't have done it before. The fact that he didn't do it more frequently once he did it, you know, to get more Smiths out in the real world, maybe that is uh, 
something that he would have done in a real-world scenario, but there's nothing real about this. Well, that I'm was the even... end game, right? And that's why Neo is able to talk the, the machine mainframe or the giant baby head into letting him go back in the Matrix to stop Smith because eventually that would be the outcome is Smith would start infecting right people and he would start infecting machines and he would just he's he's the virus right it's got right exactly it. he's the computer virus i am not also convinced that the zion isn't also part of the matrix oh yeah the, just, the, this idea that there might be levels of the matrix right. because one because that's the thing that the part portion i was going to bring up is of my like huh this part is always kind of sat funnily with, with me is one of the things that I was thought was really cool at the end of Reloaded, you know, when I saw it in the theater, is when Neo develops powers outside of the Matrix, right? Mm-hmm. He just stops a couple Sentinels with his hands and then passes out. And everyone's like, whoa, how did he do that? And like, I was like, okay, let's see how this concept is explored in the next movie. And it really isn't explored. Like, he does it again, but there's no one, it's all kind of just taken for granted. Oh, yeah. No one goes like, "How are you doing that?" Even later on in the movie, where like people are doubting Morpheus, being like, "Oh, Morpheus has his beloved prophecies that Neo is the one." He never goes like, "Oh, hey guys, by the way, Neo can stop machines in the real world now with his mind." Yeah, he never brings that up to, be, to maybe as like evidence that Neo is actually some sort of superpower god. You know, it's just kind of a thing that happens and never gets talked about, and just is intermittently spread used here and there and he can now kind of see things even with when he's though he gets his eyeballs cut out later in the movie and whatnot and it's like yeah this is like is he just still in the matrix is that the whole thing is that how they're going to bring these characters back in the fourth one that's coming out this year yeah and there's it's funny because there's there's characters that provide exposition to explain a lot of the the things that he can do inside the matrix but they seemingly have no knowledge or comprehension of what he's like outside of it. Right. And so you you never get anyone kind of even hinting at that kind of stuff. But ev- literally everything else has has that. It's almost like they're like, well, uh, I mean, if, the second if, you, this... if you spend enough time in virtual reality, eventually you'll develop superpowers. Yeah. If the second this happens, it should be like such a monstrous deal with amongst the char- other characters within the film yeah. of them just losing their minds. And like, they're more impressed when Neo does crazy stuff in the matrix. Yeah. Morpheus know? doesn't even seem to care all that much. No, he's no, a, not he's at all. actually seems like kind of disappointed and like bummed. And he was like, not a single character talks about it. Cause every, literally everything that Morpheus told everybody, cause he was Morpheus was just literally regurgitating shit. He heard from the Oracle and then mm-hmm. all that turned out to be a lie, and so he got butthurt and just kind of moped the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then started crying when his ship got blown up. Get a, give me a break, pal. You can build another ship. Like the fact that, right, like they keep talking about in, in Revolutions, uh, when they're in the train station, they're talking about, you know, uh, love is just a word, but it's the, the connection it implies that's... Uh, you know, what matters and blah, blah, blah. They go on and on about, you know, can machines love and this and that. And it's this whole back and forth. 
But like here we have Morpheus who's clearly in love with his ship because he has failed at his human relationships. And then his ship gets blown up and he like just seemingly never recovers from it. Until he, and then he bounces right back to, you know, he's on the rebound. So he bounces right back to Niobe, displacing Locke. And like, you know what? Like we're here in the future uh, in this apocalyptic scenario, like the last gasp of human existence. And we can't even like put aside our petty, you know, relationship squabbles and, you know, hurting each other and the, the awful things that, you know, people do. Uh, in the dating world, uh, not even for a second. No, well, they're, if anything, they're amplified. But, I mean, and that that's why I hate Morpheus, the character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you know that it was originally, there was uh, that role was originally offered to Sean Connery? Yeah, and he was like, wow, what, I have no idea what this script means. What is this nonsense? What else Which did, fa- he's notorious for turning down cool shit. He turned down a bunch of stuff like of fantasy or sci-fi movies around that time that all turned out to be huge hits, like yeah. Lord of the Rings, The Matrix, something else. And yeah, I think he, Lord of the Rings was the other really big one. Like, yeah. I couldn't follow it. And then he goes, I goes, okay, well, all these movies are turning into huge hits. I better do one. And then he did League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yep. And then he retired from acting. Yep. That was, that was it. He also did Dragonheart. Well, that was a while ago, though. I mean... That was just a voice role. That's true. Um, but but can you imagine, like, what? how would that have looked like? Would he have done any martial arts in the movie? Probably not, right? He couldn't have. Like, no. Lawrence Fishburne barely could, could do it. And, yeah. uh, you know, visibly, like, struggling through some, some of the things, but also doing, you know, putting in the work and doing a pretty good job. Yeah, yeah Sean Connery, they never would have been able to make that happen. Well, I mean, also, the, what, Morpheus' character has, like, two or three fights in the whole, like, martial arts fights in the whole series. It's not as important for him to have learned all the stuff that Keanu Reeves had to learn. And No, but it know, is through. weird that being as important as he is and sort of mysterious and uh, iconic, that he didn't sort of level up and become more powerful. That's actually a good point. Or also just maybe... I once watched was watching an interview with Denzel Washington, and he talked about how he trained for like eight months for the boxing match in the hurricane, even though it's just the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah, and the rest there's no boxing in the rest of the movie. And the interviewer said, like, why did you train that long if it's this? And he goes, because you got to sell it, right? If I if you have, if if I'm not believable as a boxer in the first five minutes, you're not going to believe me as anything else. The rest of the movie. Boom. So maybe that is would have been more important for more if Morpheus is supposed to be this like super badass who who knows all this stuff and whatnot. Perhaps if he had leveled up, as you said, a little bit better, I would we we wouldn't be standing here debating about whether or not if Morpheus is just a big whiner or not. Entertainment Weekly called The Matrix Reloaded one of the twenty five worst sequels ever made. That's bull. That's absurd. That's the most absurd thing I've ever even even at my most critical of this movie, it is not even in the top fifty. No. Not at all. Enter- I mean, like, Entertainment Weekly needs to watch more movies. I mean, ultimately Ever heard of Caddyshack at- too? Right, yeah. Actually, the top 25 worst sequels ever made, most of those 25 movies are Police Academy movies. (laughs) 
factual without question and if you if you if you're want to challenge me on that go ahead and watch them they're on hbo max right now um no it's this movie is not as good as the first movie people were disappointed with it but it's still a good movie if this was the first movie in the franchise people would love this movie way more oh man that's a like something really fascinating to consider can you can you imagine just starting off the movie with uh neo being like at his sort of godlike power level and then kind of working backward from there like telling the story of how he got there yeah that would be kind of interesting or for like the movie started with him waking up you know and like the 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 the, that was just like a little 10 minute prologue of how we got to this point or whatever you know or 30 minutes yeah what if he woke up from a dream and it was the dream sequence was literally just the highlights from the first movie yeah or you could do something like pacific rim did where you have this extended prologue that truly establishes the characters and tells a whole story in and of itself i mean that is literally what we said about pacific rim is that that prologue could be its own whole movie you know yeah they could have done something like that and then boom we're we 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 start right away with uh the beginning of this one and people would love this movie It's true, and that's why we're talking about it, because mm-hmm. this movie de- deserves a fair shake and another look, and uh, it's easily one of my... It, it For a very long time, it was my go-to movie. Like I would just throw this on and have it playing in the background, and I would perk up when you know some of my favorite scenes or characters would come on, and I would just listen totally. to them. Uh, and I, I feel like a lot of the dialogue has a calming effect, and the action sequences are are pretty masterful and some of the, some of the best that, you know, film has to offer. And, um, yeah, I, I say, give it a, give it another look, pick up a discount DVD or a, a ultra HD 4k Blu-ray or some shit. And, uh, or and like have the, a good time and watch like, it back to back with revolutions. Cause yeah. that really is the, the sort of optimal, like a, just carve out a four hour block where you can sit down and watch the story finish out. And it's really, really pretty satisfying, honestly. I mean, as you said, it really is more together. They are one big movie. It's not, yeah. it's not really a middle segment. This yeah. is, there's two, there's two movies in the matrix world and, but just one of them was split in half. I think we both experienced that phenomenon where it was, it was hard to just end on that. I just kept, I think I took like a five minute break and then just started watching revolutions right after I was like, I would like to see more of this. Well, I think that that definitely can happen. You know, it's like this splitting up, like they've done that in deliberately with like some book adaptations of, you know, series that like that have been turned into movies. Like they did that with Harry Potter. The last book was split into two movies and the hunger games. And I remember not seeing the hunger games movies, the first two in the theater, uh, because I just assumed that it was like a PG thirteen uh, battle royale ripoff, and then I wa- then I, I got around to watching them on uh, like Netflix or something before the third movie came out. And I was like, oh, these are actually we like these; these are good. And then, but they did that same thing. They took the third book and split it into two movies. And when I went and saw the the uh, th- third movie, which was the first half of the final book, the movie came and ended and I just didn't really care because it, it only felt like half a movie. Yeah. 
And then, so I didn't see the the fourth one in the theater, but then ultimately when it was on Netflix, I watched all of them in a row and in a row, they all worked together. Welcome to our episode about the Hunger Games. We'll be starting off with, uh, what, Catching Fire? Is that the first one? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I think so. I don't know. <laughs> I think you are correct. But yeah, anyway, like you said, give this movie another watch. Uh, it's good. It's got some good stuff in it. It's got some dumb stuff in it. Who cares? It's got all it's the. St- it's got all the stuff. It's got stuff yeah. you want. It's, it's a movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's the ultimate experience. It's got visuals. It's got audio. You can turn on the subtitles. That's true. <laughs> Go nuts! <laughs> and like you said, uh, like like the, you can watch it on DVD or whatever. But also, like you said, uh, it's on HBO Max, just like the Police Academy sequels. So damn straight. You can hit them all up in one spot. Uh, we'll be back with more movies in the sci-fi summer. Yeah, sci-fi summer is going to keep rolling as long as summer is here. So uh, we're not turning the calendar yet. Uh, we got nope. some good stuff coming up. We just did Ghost in the Machine, which just that just hit HBO as well. So, oh, did it? Great. Uh, yeah, oh, give, yeah, check that out for sure. Yeah, give that a watch. And then, um, uh, man, we got some, uh, some things coming up. Maybe we'll watch uh, Alien Nation or... Beyond the Black Rainbow, and we're definitely going to get to uh, the Country Bears. It's going to happen. The Country Bears is happening. So I hope you like bears and country and bears living in the country. All right. Well, I guess that's it for today. Don't forget to save your password. And until next time, the dumpster is closed. Goodbye, everyone. having a huge orgy at his place later tonight. At least that's what many of us have heard. It is true what many of you have heard. Morpheus! What can we expect at this orgy? Machines!